0: So as we jump into God's Word this morning and back into our series in 2 Corinthians, we want to do so by dispelling a myth right out of the gate. And that myth is this, that just because a church is big or we are experiencing blessings, that that means that God is happy with what we're doing. The other side of that myth is that just because something is small... Or just because it's riddled with problems, that that must mean God is punishing and and unhappy. Now, we have to dispel that myth, because if we were to follow that line of thinking, then that means three of the most prominent people in all of Scripture would have to be judged as the biggest failures. Those three people would be Job from the Old Testament. We know what Job went through. The other one would be the, another one would be the Apostle Paul. I want you to think about what Paul went through, okay? Uh, He was beaten multiple times with 39 lashes. He was shipwrecked three times, jailed twice, and bit by a poisonous snake, okay? I think he kind of suffered a little bit. But then the other one would be this. If bigger is better and blessed, and smaller is cursed and not liked, then the biggest failure of all would be Jesus. Anybody know how many disciples Jesus had at the end of his ministry, right before he is resurrected? Or right before he's descending, excuse me? Actually, just a little bit larger than our church. 120. Three and a half years. I want you to wrap your mind around this for a moment. Three and a half years of the Son of God teaching and preaching and doing all the miracles... And after three and a half years, only 120 people were following him. Yet, is anybody here going to argue that that 120 has not been used to turn the world upside down? Is anybody here really going to go, yep, Job, Paul, and Jesus, they were all failures. So, all three of those suffered Greatly. Therefore, we have to ask this question. What is the purpose of suffering in the life of a believer? I want to encourage you, if you haven't already done so, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 together. And I really want to encourage you, if you don't have a paper or an electronic copy of God's Word, right there in the pew in front of you, there's a copy. If you even open up your bulletin, it'll tell you the exact page number to go to. Because I want you to see not my words, I want us to look at and study the Word of God together. Here's the one big thing as you're going there. Suffering is a tool used by God to teach us who He is in order to grow our faith and trust in Him. So let's look at it together. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm going to begin in verse 6. I'm going to ask if you're able and would, would you stand as we honor the reading of God's Word together? He says, For though I would desire to glory, I shall not Be For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation. there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Father, we thank you for your word. And now, God, as we look into your word, may we behold the many glorious truths. May we see the glory of God and the truth contained in your word. And Lord, having seen it, may we simply lean on you to obey what we have heard. That we may glorify you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Again, the one big thing is this, that suffering is a tool used by God to teach us who He is in order to grow our faith and trust in Him. We have entitled this message this morning, Lessons from a Thorn. What could we possibly learn about God, about ourselves from suffering? Well, the first lesson we want to look at is in verse 7, and it is this, that God is sovereign. Sovereign. Now that's a word that we use a lot around here, uh, because it's clearly seen throughout Scripture, but this is what it means for God to be sovereign. It means that God is in control of all things at all times. There's not a single moment, a single event that happens that God is not absolutely, completely in control of and able to use for His glory and our good. God has an eternal will that he has been working out since the beginning of time. It is a will that you and I have to realize will not be stopped. It will not be hindered. Because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, it is guaranteed that God's eternal will will be accomplished. So we need to ask that question. What is God's eternal will? And that is this, that... Every part of His creation will give Him glory. Life isn't about you and I. It's about God. It is about His glory. Isaiah 42 verse 8, He says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to anybody else. He will not share in His glory. This is a will that is designed to evoke worship, praise, love, adoration, from His creation to Him. Now the biggest reason that we struggle with God being sovereign is sometimes we feel like we know what we need better than God does. We feel like we know what's right. Yet Isaiah says that God has declared the end from the beginning. So before God ever spoke Genesis 1-1 and created, He had already declared how it was going to end. You and I, we make decisions based on a myopic view. In that moment, given these circumstances, we believe that we know what will make us happy. But God in His sovereignty, who knows the end from the beginning, is going, listen, I know how this is going to end. You only know what's happening right here and right now. I know not only what's going to happen right now, but I know what's going to happen a year from now. Five years, ten years, twenty years from now. And so it is a call for God to, from God for us to trust in Him, that He knows what is best for us. We like to make decisions that make us happy in the moment. We like the path of least resistance. But let it be known that the path of least resistance only serves to make rivers and men crooked. The path of least resistance, we want the easiest route with the maximum results. But what God is trying to do is to evoke the worship, love, adoration, the glory from us that is due Him because He knows what's best for us. What's best for us? A relationship with Him. More than anything else, every one of us in this room and around this world, we need a relationship with God that is based on His grace that has saved us. The phrase that we see throughout the Old Testament is this phrase, that you may know that I am the Lord, or I the Lord have done this. The Bible itself, all of history, is God revealing Himself to mankind so that we will worship Him, fear Him, love Him, and ultimately so that we will obey Him. James says it this way, faith without works is dead. If what we know of God does not lead to actions to serve God, then we are only worshiping ourselves. God throughout the Bible and throughout our circumstances is showing us that everything in anyone other than him is a false substitute of what we need you know in America we work 50 to 60 hours a week and we do it because we're trying to save for retirement or we're trying to get nice things and we always say this you know I'm going to sacrifice the here and now so that I can enjoy it later and what ultimately happens is when we, if we're able to limp to retirement we're so tired and so wore out that we can no longer enjoy what we worked so hard for. It's because we've settled for a false God. We've settled for the God of convenience and worshipped at the altar of culture instead of our Creator and Christ. I want us to see, even within God's sovereignty, I want us to see Satan's role in suffering. Alright, so verse 7 says, Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations. We're going to come back to that phrase. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. So Paul is saying, God gave me this thorn. Now, let's go ahead and unequivocally, undeniably answer what is this thorn Paul is talking about. We don't know. Okay, there's your answer it doesn't matter. Don't worry about it. If God wanted us to know what that thorn was, he would have told us. Okay? All right. So here we go. So God gave him a thorn, but notice the very next phrase. The messenger of Satan to buffet me. Now the word buffet there means to harass. Don't miss this. What God intended to use for Paul to depend on God, Satan meant for Paul to doubt God. And in this, this is the choice that you and I are faced with every single day when difficult circumstances come in our life. We will either allow them to draw us closer to God, or we will allow them to push us further from God. And here's the thing, the only person in control of how you respond to that is you. Nobody can make you come closer to God, and nobody can push you further from God. That is a choice of yours. I mean, this is what he's getting at. that, That God is trying to draw Paul deeper and depend on him more, and Satan is trying to use this to cause Paul to doubt God's goodness. He loves to whisper things in our ear, doesn't he? Man, you love God. Look at all the things that you did. Look how God's repaying you. Look at all this stuff going on. Satan loves to cause us to try to doubt God. Satan desires to use our suffering and our trials to call into question God's goodness and God's love for us. Satan wants us to be like Job's wife. Remember Job's wife, right? She and her husband, man, they had suffered immeasurably. And Job's wife goes, you really maintain your integrity? Are you really going to tell me, Job, you haven't done anything wrong? Well, if you haven't done anything wrong, and God is, you love God, and this is how he repays you, you ought to just curse God and die. Job goes, should we only expect to receive good from God and not also adversity? Is God so weak that he can only use the good things in our lives and not also the, the difficult things to draw us to him? Not making light of what you're going through. Suffering changes people, pain changes us what this text is calling all of us to understand is who God is and to understand that God can use our pain, our suffering to point us to the only one we really need and that is Jesus more than an easy life we need a deep abiding relationship with Jesus that is only possible by His grace The second lesson we can learn is humility. This is probably going to be the most provocative statement of the morning. The goal of the Christian life is not to get to heaven. Now that is a great byproduct of having a relationship with Jesus. But the goal of the Christian life is not to get to heaven. Rather the goal of the Christian life is to know Jesus and to make him known. That is to have a relationship by His grace and then to go spread His grace to the lost. We we know this unequivocally because the command Jesus gave us before He was to ascend was this, make disciples. Make disciples. You have to know Him, which is you have to be saved by Him. And then you've got to give your life, the rest of your life, everywhere you go, everything you do, in making Jesus known to the world. In talking about having the mind of Christ, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 through 8, Paul says that one of the characteristics of Jesus is humility. He said that he humbled himself and became obedient to the Father, even to the point of death on the cross. The invitation in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, Jesus says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly. He's saying you have to be humble. Paul could have been prideful. Think about all the things that God did through Paul. I mean, look at, again, the opening phrase of verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. In other words, Paul is saying that God directly revealed things to me. We saw that Wednesday night when we were studying the uh, Lord's Supper. What Paul told the Corinthian church was exactly what God had told Paul. Paul wrote 75% of the New Testament. He went on three missionary journeys that expanded the gospel from starting just in Jerusalem, it went to Judea and Samaria, and through Paul, it went to the ends of the earth. I mean, if anybody could strut spiritually about who he was and what he did, it was Paul. And yet we see Paul at every turn rejecting that. Paul going, no, 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 don't you glory in me. Don't talk about me. I'm nobody. I'm the chiefest of sinners. If you're going to glory about anybody, if you're going to brag on anybody, brag on Jesus. Because for Paul, life wasn't about him. Paul didn't care if, if he was asked to preach at all the big conventions. He didn't care if he wrote, you know, all of these great books. Paul wanted to know Jesus and to be used by. Paul says, everything else in my life is rubbish. I don't care. Just give me Jesus. Suffering reminds us that we live in a fallen world. The reality is that no one is exempt from suffering. It doesn't matter your age, it doesn't matter your education, how much money you make, your political persuasion. It doesn't even matter where you live. We all suffer. want us to think about this all the great technological advances all the medical breakthroughs that we have the best man can offer is nothing but delaying the inevitable the best in the world cannot keep death from happening why because god who is more powerful said for in the day that you eat of the fruit of that tree you will die They go, well, wait a minute. I wasn't in the garden. I didn't eat. All right, well, Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There are two tenses of verb in that verse. All right, the first one is have. For all have sinned. Okay, that's past tense. That takes you back to Genesis chapter 3, the garden. Okay, so we are sinners by birth. Because Adam sinned, we are born with that sin nature. That verse goes on to say, and come short of the glory of God. It's in the imperative that the progressive here and it's talking, we continuously come short. So not only are we sinners by birth, we are also sinners by choice. Every one of us in here are sinners by choice. Suffering reminds us that we are frail, weak, and in need of a greater strength than we possess in ourselves. In other words, our suffering is to point us to a need for Jesus. It's the only thing it can do. How easy is it for you and I to become prideful? How easy is it for that pat on that back, that at a boy, a good job? How easy is that to go to our heads? And by the way, if you think it it doesn't affect you, you have deceived yourself. I'm sorry. We all need to be needed. We want somebody to look up to us. We want somebody to say, man, you really helped me. And this is one of the greatest dangers because our heart deceives us. We can think that we're right when the Bible says you're wrong. So often, we forget. You know, the greatest antidote to pride is the cross. We live in a culture and a society that says it's all about you. You are the master of your own destiny. Give it the old college try. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Just try a little bit harder. That's the message that we are reinforced with over and over and over. That if I believe it, I can achieve it. All right? Th- think about one of the one of the kids' favorite uh, children's book. All right, the little engine that could. What was his message? I think I can. I think I can. Right? Oh, y'all didn't realize that children's literature written from a worldly perspective reinforces a sinful, self-centeredness. Another sermon, another Sunday. Let's keep going. Okay. But, but here's the thing, right? Like we 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 set all this up. And, and it's what we believe. And we just try, man, I, just, I gotta try harder, I gotta try harder, I gotta try harder. But the cross of Jesus Christ is crying out, you can't. It's not in you. The best you got will never amount to what God has. See, if the cross. If you and I could save ourselves, Paul says in Galatians 2, if we could save ourselves, then Jesus died in vain. That, is that Jesus died for nothing. So the very fact that you and I, when we read the Gospels, the fact that all four Gospels show us that Jesus left the glory of heaven, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, to die on a cross outside of Jerusalem, that shows us that we cannot save ourselves. Not only can we not save ourselves, but we cannot sustain ourselves. God's grace is not just sufficient to save. It is so that we can live the Christian life. You and I will never be what God's called us to be. I'll never be the husband. I'll never be the father. I'll never be the pastor apart from God's grace. We are desperately dependent On his grace for everything. Lest we forget what James wrote in James chapter 4 that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. As long as we stay in our own self righteousness, God's going to step back, He's not going to impose Himself on us. He's going to step back. He's going to let us destroy ourselves. But the moment we come to the end of ourselves, the moment that we say, God, I can't. I need you. is the very moment He shows up. And the very moment He begins to change not only your heart, but your life. Which leads us to the third lesson from the thorn, and it's this. It's the the sufficiency of Christ. Charles Spurgeon said, we will not realize that Jesus is all-sufficient until we realize that everything but Christ is insufficient. Until we realize that everything else in this world is incapable of saving us, it's incapable of making us happy and helping us do what we were created to do, we will never turn to Christ. But once we see that nothing else can do what Jesus does, we won't want anything else. Through his suffering from the thorn, Paul learned what was most important in life. He had education, he had revelations, he had power, he had prestige, but none of that could stop him from suffering. None of that could make his suffering any easier in this life. It's through suffering that Paul learned that everything he needed in this life and in the life to come was found in Jesus. We sang a song here a while ago, Just Give Me Jesus. This is why Paul says that he would glory or brag about his weakness. He knew he wasn't the answer for the Corinthians. May we never tell people, hey, if you just do things like me, then everything will be alright. May we never be that arrogant. May we never be so arrogant that we actually think God needs us. And if we do, just go read Job 38 and 39. There's a few questions in there. God will take care of that part, okay? Paul asks, look at verses 9 and 10. Or start in verse 8. For this thing I have assaulted the Lord thrice, three times. Paul said, Lord, take it away. No. God, please take this away. No. God, I really, really want you to take this away. No. Three times he asked, take it away. God wanted Paul to know. He wants you and I to know that regardless of what you and I face, he is sufficient for all things. If you and I only experienced good times and only received good things in our sin nature after a while, we would start to believe that we deserved them. Well, I mean, look at me, man. It's Sunday. I'm at church. Of course I deserve good things. All those other heathens, look at all the things they're doing. Now, I mean, we would never say that, but we think it. We do. Let's just be honest. We think that because we do certain things, we deserve better than other people. And this is where God has to come in and go, this isn't the case. Why do we need praise from people? Or why when we feel stressed out do some people turn to alcohol or or some people turn to drugs? When we get stressed out, why do some people go to their comfort food or or throw themselves into work or or whatever? We do those things because we haven't learned that Jesus is all we need. We're still looking at all those other things to bring us happiness, bring us value, bring us purpose. But we need to learn that none of those things can do that. And I know this is really hard to hear. But we don't learn to praise God or worship Him on the mountaintop. We don't learn that God is all powerful and that He can change anything or anyone up on the mountaintop. Some lessons can only be learned in a valley. Because it's only when we're in the valley that we realize, I can't do anything. Some of you have walked down some, some dark valleys in life. Our family, the last couple of years, we've seen those valleys as well. And I would love to stand up here and tell you that when we're in the middle of the valley, I was like, hey, we're okay, everything's good, God's got this. But a lot of times when we're in the middle of that valley, what's the first question we ask? Why? Why, guys? You know what I've learned? A lot of times, God doesn't answer us. And sometimes He does. And praise God that He does. But sometimes, I learn that He is sufficient by His silence. He's like, I don't have to explain myself to you. Watch this. I got you. You're not alone. I'm with you in the middle of the storm. I got you. He doesn't speak because He hasn't changed. He's got us and He's walking right through there. And here's the beautiful thing about it, okay? We come out on the other side of that valley. And I don't know your experience, but I'm just going to share mine. There has not been one time that God has allowed us to go through that dark valley that when we when He brought us out on the other side, There's not been one time that He has not put me in face-to-face contact with somebody that is experiencing what we just came through. Now, you can believe in coincidence if you want to. I'm going to reject it. I believe in the all-sufficiency, all-knowingness of God. I believe God orchestrated it. That he brought us through that dark valley, not just to teach us how sufficient he is, but get this, so that I can then go proclaim his glory and sufficiency to somebody else. You are not going through what you're going through just for you. It is meant so that when God teaches you and brings you through it, you can go tell everybody else how good God is. You're not just talking about what God could do. You're telling them this is what God did. Let's brag on God a little bit. So what do we do with this text? Church, we need to learn to trust God. I mean, it's as simple and as complicated as this. Trust God. I'm not saying that your suffering's not hurting. I'm not saying that what you're going through, what we're going through, isn't frustrating and difficult and you just want to lose your mind and you want to just scream your head off. I got it. In fact, I'll tell you this. You want to know what one of the hardest verses in all of the Bible is for me? Here it is, James chapter 1, verse 2. Some of you are smiling because you know what that verse says. Here it is, James 1, 2. It says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials and temptations. Now, I just told you sometimes when I'm walking through the valley, I'm not singing praise Him, praise Him. I'm going, What you doing, Lord? Why am I here, God? But James just said we need to learn to praise Jesus in the storms of life. God wants us to know that His grace is sufficient to save a wretch like me, and like you, and like the world. And that His grace is not only sufficient to save us, His grace is sufficient to sustain us and make us who we're supposed to be. Paul's blessings did not come because God changed his circumstances. Read read, read, read verse 8. Three times Paul said, please. God said, no. Paul's blessings did not come because God changed his circumstances. Paul's blessings came because God changed Paul church, one of the greatest truths I want us to hear this morning is this. We do not need God to change our circumstances. We need God to change us. We need to be transformed by God. We need a transformed heart, which leads to a transformed life. That will change everything. God's going to allow you to get knocked down, church. God is going to allow the forces of hell to get up close and personal and puts you flat on your back and he's not doing it because he's mad he does it because he loves you because he knows this only when you and i are flat on our back will we finally be silent enough to look up and then we will understand what the psalmist said where does my help come my help comes from the lord the maker of heaven and earth this is what we've got to have church we have got to trust in the sovereignty of God that if He has brought us to it, it's okay. we got to know in our spirit this, that if I die today, I'm going to be in the eternal presence of Jesus. And if I wake up tomorrow morning, it's because I get to use my lips to praise my God. He is sufficient. So let me... A man is never so empty as when he is full of himself. You cannot be filled with the Spirit and still walking in your strength. So let me ask you something. What is God trying to take out of your life right now? What is He trying to empty you of? We don't need God to change our circumstances. We need God to change how we view our circumstances. Maybe what we're holding on to so tightly is what God is trying to remove from us because what we're clinging to is an idol instead of an all-sufficient Savior. Is what you're living for right now, is what you're worrying about, is what you're tossing and turning and stress eating, and fuming and mad about it and all this—is any of that worth living for? If it was gone today, would it change your eternity tomorrow? And if it's not going to turn, if it's not going to change your eternity, then it's not worth living for today. What is God trying to empty you of? For some he may be trying to empty you of you of your own self-righteousness you've been trusting in your own works who you are and the things that you do to make you acceptable to God and God's going doesn't ever work there's nothing you can ever do to erase your sin but Jesus did some, maybe there's an idol in your life. God's trying to remove it right now. Because He wants you to be in love with Him. and He wants you to understand He's all you'll ever need. I don't know what it is. But I'm going to ask you to lay it down today. Experience the life and the joy that only Jesus can give. Don't live one more minute for a false substitute. Experience the real thing today. We're just staying with you as we're going to pray. Father, as we continue to move in this time of worship, the songs have been sung, the word has been preached, all that's left is for those who have ears to hear, to respond. Father, I don't know how you're asking us to respond. But I pray that your spirit would strive with us. That we would respond. That we would be made whole. Whether it's trusting you for salvation. Or laying down something that is keeping us from being who we're supposed to be. Father, help us in all that we do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing the song "Heart of Worship." More than words, more than singing. If God has spoke, let's just respond in worship.